Well, I'm Jeff, and, uh, and I'm fully rooting for the Eagles. So just get that out of the way. You got to root for the underdog. Listen, if you love Jesus, you got to root for the underdog. Some of you are like, what? Why are we talking football? We're not. Um, we are in a sermon series on, uh, on Romans uh, chapter 8, and it's called Digging In, and it's about a deep dive kind of into the love of God, because that's what Romans 8 is all about. Love to have you turn in your scriptures. Uh, want everybody to have a Bible open, because uh, we are not going to have those scriptures on the screen, and we're going to go through uh, the last part of this chapter, going to be referring to it, going to be asking you some questions, and uh, there'll be a quiz at the end. So that's not true. That's not true at all. But... Uh, Romans chapter 8, page number again is I think 1043, right? Are we still on that page or close to it? Because we're now toward the end of the chapter. Romans uh, 8, starting in verse 26. Let me get right to the point of where we're going. This is the text that has a famous phrase in it, and this is the title of the sermon, and that is that his love makes us more than conquerors. His love makes us more than conquerors. That's sort of a phrase that those of you who have read the scriptures before have landed on. This is a sort of a, a uh, um, it's just really a powerful passage and, and so therefore quoted quite a bit. And you may have had that language used with you before, this idea that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's at the end of the text. You see that down in verse 37. Uh, we're going to get down there. But this idea that we're more than conquerors, his love makes us more than conquerors. You see, this whole passage, that we've, this deep dive into the love of God has been about that God's love meets us even in the midst of our suffering and difficulties this side of heaven, because all of us exist this side of heaven. Someday we'll be on that side of heaven, where all things are then perfect, but on this time, we're in this side of heaven, and in the midst of all of that, God's love manifests itself. From the very beginning, verse 1, look at verse 1 of chapter 8 that Ben preached on several weeks ago now, six, six weeks ago now, where there's now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. There's no separation anymore between us and God. All of our sin is forgiven, and we've been set free from it. So that, I mean, this is the love of God is manifested through this whole chapter. And it ends with this big, bold kind of teaching on the fact that his love makes us more than conquerors because we know that these battles that we face need to be conquered because we're all underneath the weight of those struggles and battles. Some of you may resonate with one or two different questions uh, that I want to start with. One question is, you may resonate with this question, well, how come nobody told me that life was going to be so hard? Like life is a battle, like it's one battle after another and nobody grew up being told that, you know, our parents didn't sing over us in the crib and go, you know, life's really hard and then you die, you know, like that's the meaning of life. But it kind of turned out that way. And even though we have kind of times of smooth water, some, some people have more smooth water than others, you know, you can around the bend, you're like, whoa, those are big rapids. And that's, life keeps throwing us that and nobody's immune from that. And I don't know what type of personality it is, but some of us are like, wow, man, how come nobody alerted me to that? And some of you were like smirking at me right now because you're like, oh, I so understand that part. Maybe you resonate with this question. How come nobody told me that because of the love of God manifesting itself, we're more than conquerors against anything that comes our way? That's right. We live in victory. How come nobody told me? You see, this 
series, and our church understands and lives well in this idea that we're broken, our world is broken, and it's hard. We live well in that. This is the most honest church I've ever even heard about, much less been a part of. We get that. But we cannot miss this message. It's a deep dive into the love of God because it's good news that there is victory available. There is nothing that comes at us in our stories that has to defeat us. And that's what this text is going to teach. We're more than conquerors. Remind me, if I forget, I'm going to give you another Greek word to get tattooed on your body. There was, anybody, any takers? Did anybody get a tattoo in the last couple weeks? Okay, 100 bucks, I'm telling you. (laughs) Um, So, let's look at the text together a little bit. Let me sum it up this way too, friends. It's naive to think that just around the corner is smooth water. It's been rough, but we're going to be fine. It's naive to think that, but it is equally more tragic to miss out on the truth that even though we face rough waters, that there is victory over all of it more than conquerors because of the love of God. So I want to look at the truth about how the love of God is going to manifest itself in our experience so that we find victory. See where we're going? What's, before I get into it, what is, what's a battle that you are wrestling with right now. I mean, I want you to have it in your head as we go through these truths because I want you to apply these truths to something that's really happening in your life. What are you battling? What are you facing? What's, what's one, just even one of the many things that I'm sure you could, can come up with where you're like, that thing, that is rough. And I don't know how it's gonna end. And half the time I feel pretty despondent about it. I don't really understand why it's in my life. And I, What's that thing? Do you have that thing in your head? I want you to kind of get a hold of that before I move on. I'll let you take a minute and make sure that that's there. Just gathering with my friends and with appointments and stuff this week, there was just so many that came. Uh, you know, people considering a job change, somebody with a new boss in their life that they're not sure they're going to be able to work with, somebody whose kid is sick all the way across the country and doesn't know how to relate to that. There's financial difficulties. There's, uh, you know, unknown future stuff. There's, I mean, I, I just, all as I was preparing and thinking about this text, there's so many battles that are out there. For some, it's addictions they can't break. For some, it's a continued pattern of failure in, rela- in a relationship, maybe. What's the battle? For some, it's a, it's a pervasive sense of unhappiness. What's your battle? You got it? Because that's our life. That's what we're experiencing. But God loves us so much that that love's gonna be manifested in a way that we have an understanding of how victory is available to us. We do not have to be defeated by anything we face. Let's look at the truths that the text teaches. And then we're going to, I'm going to give them to you one, two, three, four. And that way you'll know where we're at. We're going to go through these uh, paragraphs and we're finishing this uh, Romans 8 today, starting in verse 26. Here's the first one. Look at the first one before we read the text. This is the first truth that I want you to understand about uh, how his love manifests itself in a way that makes us more than conquerors. It's this, the spirit helps us in our weakness by interceding for us. Now, I don't even know if you've ever looked at this passage because we get to really juicy, glorious stuff later on in the passage, but I want you to look at the truth that the scriptures are teaching here. This is pretty cool. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, these battles. The Spirit helps us by interceding for us. You're like, what does that even mean? Does it mean the Spirit's praying for us? Yes, that's what it means. The Spirit's connecting 
with God on our behalf. So let's look at it, verse 26. In the same way, in the same way meaning the stuff that went before that we have this hope in Christ. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Any weak people in the house? Anybody? We're talking, so we're talking to you. Okay, you and you and you. Good. Just the three of us. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is great news. This is great news to start with. Remember, this is a deep dive into the love of God. This is all the love of God is what is motivating all of this stuff that we're talking about here. So the good news is the Spirit is going to come help us. The Holy Spirit is here to help us in our weakness. Second sentence, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Do you see it? We do not know what we, have, what we ought to pray for. Why don't we know what to pray for, friends? Somebody tell me. Why don't we know what to pray for? It says we don't know what to pray for. Why don't we know what to pray for? We're self-centered. We're confused. It's too much. Those are all, I just, I think I heard all those correctly, right? I mean, there's some things we know what to pray for, but there's a lot of things we don't. We don't know what to pray because we're weak. It says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't even know. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know what he's trying to accomplish. Some of us feel like we get into this place where like, is that selfish to pray for that? I, mean, I want to pray for this because it's something I want. Is that just something I want? Is that not what God wants? I don't know. My head's all mixed up in it. Anybody resonate with that in your prayer life? And it says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, it says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. Did you know that this was the truth taught in the scripture? That because you've said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit now indwells you. And that Spirit communicates to our Father in heaven. Within the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is talking to God on your behalf. Did you know that? Isn't that a cool text? You're like, really? How does that work? I don't know. Doesn't give, we don't have words for it. The Spirit doesn't have words for it. It's a spiritual communication. Now you think about that for just a minute. It goes on to say, verse 27, because, and he who searches our hearts, that means God, because only God searches the hearts of men and women. He who searches our hearts, what? Knows the, the mind of the spirit. So God is looking at your inner heart with all of you and all that you are and all your junk and all your battles. God the Father searches your heart and what does it say he finds? The mind of the Holy Spirit. He finds the mind of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is interceding for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I can tell you're not nearly as excited about this as I am. So (laughs) this is a bizarre concept in our weakness, and we don't know how to pray. God goes, listen, the Holy Spirit in you is communicating to me exactly along the lines of my heart's desire for you out of my love and care, and power, and perfect plan. The Holy Spirit is doing it in ways that it's even beyond your your consciousness. That is a gracious, merciful God who's like, listen, I got it. You're confused. Let's let the Holy Spirit communicate to the Father on your behalf. And it says, in accordance with God's will. And what does 1 John say about God's will? That if we pray according to God's will, anybody know the rest of it? He'll hear us. And if he hears us, the text goes on to say, we know that we have what we've asked of him. So the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing answers to prayer because he's praying exactly along the lines of the the will of the Father on your behalf and you had nothing to do with it. Does that comfort anybody other than me? Isn't that great news? 
So how does God's love manifest itself in a way that we have victory? Well, one way is that the Holy Spirit is praying exactly according to God's will on our behalf in some unconscious spiritual level. Thank you, Jesus. That's great news. How does it inform your prayer life? Maybe just um, some less words. Like you're like, I'm, like acknowledge it. You know, I'm confused. I don't know what to pray for. I feel weird about this. This is what I want. I don't know if it's right. I'm, I don't even know the right direction. I don't even know if I'm right, asking the right questions. When you get to that place in prayer, and that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to pray for all, I mean, the scriptures say, bring all these concerns to your heavenly father. But when you're at that place of lostness in prayer, just know and imagine the Holy Spirit groaning, along with, by the way, if you read the earlier chapter and we're in our sermons, what else was groaning? Creation was groaning, longing for the fulfillment, the coming of God's kingdom. The children of God, it says a few verses before, are groaning, longing for that which is not yet right. And the Holy Spirit groans, sharing that human experience right into the, right into the, the listening um, compassionate heart of God. So maybe less words and more groaning. As Ben said last week, groaning is encouraged. And the whole, no, the Holy Spirit is uh, connecting right with God's heart on your behalf. Love that. Second, this is how his love makes us more than conquerors. The Spirit helps us. Uh, so that was it. I did that right. Let me go to the next page. God is always at work for our ultimate good. God is always at work for our ultimate good. Verse 28, he's always at work for our ultimate good. We'll start in this chapter. And so and it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's just stop at that verse. You with me? Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know this. I love, I love that it says, and we know this, because a lot of our sermons, a lot of our Bible study, a lot of our readings, friends, is a lot about just saying, what do we know? What do we know? What do we know? Because we don't remember what we know, and we don't feel sometimes along the lines of what it is that we know, so we rehearse the truth, right? We're remembering the truth, and then we're going to rehearse it together. So this text says, okay, and this is what we know, verse 28. So tell me some of the things that we know from verse 28. You tell me. What's something you see? What do we know? Real loud and bold. Go ahead. I can't hear you from here. That God loves us. Okay, where does it say that? In verse 28. Yeah, so God's love permeates the whole thing, but now we're talking about us loving God. So I'm gonna get to that one in a minute. That's good, okay? God works. Let me just start, stop there, Jim. God works, God works. God's working. Text says, listen, we know this. God's at work. Now listen, church. You may need to hear that word right there for your life and your battles and your story. God's working. He's working. I can feel the weight of the power of that phrase in your story. And there's somebody here who needs to hear from our precious Heavenly Father. He's working. He's working. Because what happens when we're in the middle of the battle is He's nowhere to be found. We think he's not working. He doesn't care for me. He's not in this. He doesn't have enough power. He's probably not real. 
And this text says, listen, we know this. He's working. Can you receive that from your Father in heaven today? Your battle, the thing you're carrying into this room, he's he's working. You know that thing that happens with me? That I feel a sense of God's heart for you in a minute? So we just got to pause there because that's the Father feeling this for you and your story. I know it doesn't feel like it, but he's working. Text says we know that. I think I'm going to spend the next 18 minutes just saying he's working. <laughs> what else does it say about his, how, his work? What does it say, verse 28? He's working. Okay, let's go to that and then that. It's for our good. He's working for our good. He's working for our good. Old translations had some phraseology that was appropriate, but it made it sound in the English kind of like that he made everything good. And you're like, no, some of the stuff that's going on is not good. And it's not good because it's out of sin, it's out of, it's out of evil, it's out of, I mean, the, 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 the scriptures are really famous for teaching. We have three enemies, friends. The world does not conspire for your good. It doesn't. Sometimes good things happen, but a lot of times bad things happen. The world doesn't conspire, conspire for your good. The flesh, the world, the flesh, does not conspire to your good because your flesh is broken. And if everybody just kind of stops for a minute, everybody gets the agreement of that, yeah, 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 like the, uh, my flesh is broken. And it conspires toward destruction most often, even though I'm capable of some really beautiful things. Third, world, flesh, the devil, who is the destroyer who comes to, to kill and destroy. So this is all what's really happening is that that. Lots of bad things are happening, but he's going to work good in spite of those things. He's going to bring good out of those things. There's going to be beauty for ashes and, and joy for tears and life for death. He can still bring those things even in the midst of all that other brokenness, even in the midst of our battle. And everybody who's walked with Christ for more than a few weeks can testify that I'm in the midst of my battles and I still know the goodness of God. I see the light. I see the glimmers. I feel the inner testimony. I see circumstances. I see stuff God did. Even you're like, God, did you do that anyway? My flesh blew up my wife and he brought about some healing that he used it to get us further down the road than we were before I blew up that in that fight. You, you know what I'm saying? God can work for the good. He brings good. And somebody else said, in all things, yes, everything, nothing, nothing is beyond his repair. So this is God's love manifesting itself in ways that bring us victory because he is going to have, bring beauty and life and victory in the end. And it's not just about heaven. We experience that tangibly now, even sometimes in the depths of our worst lostness, uh, battles, trials. We're more than conquerors, and that's possible. And it says that for those who love him, somebody read that, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I, I wish I could say that, listen, God works for the good of everybody in the whole world. I'm telling you that it doesn't actually say that because there's still separation. If you, but if you've said yes to Jesus, and have bridged the gap between you and our Heavenly Father and entered into a relationship with Him. 
you who love him and have been called according to his purpose, you've given your life to him, and God's going to work your life into victory even in the midst of the battles. That's incredibly comforting news. We don't always understand what he's doing. We don't understand why he's doing it. We certainly don't welcome everything that comes our way because everything that came, we've said this, this church preaches this really well, I hope. Everything that comes your way is not from God. It could be from the flesh. It could be from the devil. It could be from the world. Stuff happens. But God can work good in it. So we don't welcome it all the time. We don't understand it all the time. Certainly not told that he's going to work toward our comfort. It's so easy for us to talk about that. We just always know every time somebody says that, we go, yep, that's so true. We know that. And yet it's, still ne- it's never any less convicting that we're just people addicted to comfort. And that's not the promise. But he works toward our good. And what would that be, our good? Connected with him, living the life that he would have. Our, trans- our salvation, our transformation, and glory, beauty. So God's going to work toward our good. It's out of his love that he'll do that. He'll always come and do that out of his love. He'll always work toward our supreme good. One of the stories that I, I tell all the time, and I just was reminded of it this week because I was telling somebody my story, and it's so definitive in my story, and that was that... Um, uh, that many, many years ago, we were part of this church and we moved to Colorado. And we moved to Colorado and, you, you know, on the way to Colorado, it was just, it was so heartbreaking to leave our church. And we ended up, in, you know, the whole story is that we ended up in Colorado. It wasn't a great fit for the ministry we were in. And we were just heartbroken for the whole time we lived there. Our kids hated us when we moved across the, uh, across the country. I'll never forget my oldest daughter's, a look at my oldest daughter's face sitting on a janky motel in Wyoming where we got snowed in on the way across country. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to recover from this and this relationship. And uh, just so difficult. And, um, and uh, we were there the whole time going, what, what, what happened? How did we miss your will? What, how did we end up into this place where we were such joy? We had been at Ring Covenant and we'd loved it. We loved everybody and we'd left, we had to leave and we left. And, and it just didn't seem like everything, like nobody was making good decisions and we ended up in this worse Scenario: We were off in Colorado and all my children hated me. So that was the story. And I didn't run from it because I didn't know what God was doing. And so I waited. And apparently the Holy Spirit was interceding on my behalf. But at some point, God gave us the freedom to go look for other things and it was going to be time to do something else. And I didn't know what that thing was going to be, but I was, we were at a family wedding on the beach, uh, or in San Diego, and I was running on the beach with that same oldest daughter. And on that run, I said, hey, listen, don't tell anybody, because I haven't resigned or anything like that yet, but we're not going to be here much longer. So, um, you know, if you're pl- making college plans, don't be thinking Northern Colorado is part of, like, where mom and dad might live. So, and she said on that run, she said, you know, dad, I know it was really hard for you to move to Colorado. And she goes, I, I didn't always make it all that easy. But she stopped me on the run. She put her hand on my arm and stopped me in the sand. And she said, we were on La Jolla Beach on that hard packed sand. And I'll never forget where we were. And she said, you know, it was hard to move. But, you know, when we lived in Novato, I was not in a good place. I'm like, I know. It's hard to be a freshman in high school, blah, blah, blah. She goes, no, no. And that's when she grabbed me. No, no. 
not in a good place. Any of you dads feeling that? And she said it a third time, not in a good place. She said, you know, if we hadn't moved to Colorado, I wouldn't be in love with the Lord the way that I am now. This is the 150th time I've told the story and I still can't do it without tears. I fell to my knees on the sand in La Jolla, worshiping a God who in the middle of my battle and my lostness was writing a story of glory and rescuing my daughter. And I felt it was gentle, but I felt the Lord leaning over me going, how's that for a reason? And then the Lord said, and I have a million of those. You don't know what I was doing. And we followed him on that journey. We followed him into that trial. And all we have, friends, looking forward, looking back now, all we had was to trust in the love of God to manifest itself that this God would bring good even out of a struggle. Somewhere there would be good in it. I don't know if I was supposed to be in Colorado. I don't know if I was outside of God's will. It's impossible for me to figure out, but all I know is he goes, but you're here now and let me rescue your kid. Let me save your kid. And then by the way, I'm doing a million other things because I can fix where however it is that was broken, I can get us to some good. Now, some of you experience loss that can never be recovered. I came back to Marin Covenant. I may have potentially have lost that relationship forever. And many, many other worse stories we can imagine where the loss has never recovered. So God doesn't restore what we had, but he nevertheless can bring beauty and glory and good for us, even despite what we've lost or faced. You with me on that? This is God's love manifesting itself through your story. So as you think about what your story is, You can imagine how God might, in fact, meet you with some good even on the other side of pain or difficulty or battle or loss. Third, he's already proved that he's on our side. He's already proved that he's on our side. Verse 31. This is how God's love manifests itself in a way that gives us victory. He's already saying, hey, listen, I'm already on your side. And so look at verse 31 with me. Ready? What then shall we say in response to these things? And you know the implied answer is, "Mm, probably nothing, just shut my mouth right now. Because this is a big, beautiful, glorious, sovereign, powerful God. So what shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is, okay, we'll try that again. Here we go. Yeah, if God is for us, Who can be against us? Since God is for us, who can actually stand against us? Who can have victory standing against us? What's the answer? Nobody. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You with me? Verse 32. How will he not also, if he already gave Jesus, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, then graciously give us all things? What's the answer to that? Uh, I don't know. Yes, no. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no. Yeah, of course. God's already, he's already proved he's on our side by sending his son. 
And now he's like, so that same generosity is going to get poured out in whatever it is that you're facing because the ultimate price was already paid. Do you see it? The ultimate generosity was already bestowed on us. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? What's the answer to that? No, nobody. It's who's, who can accuse us? The answer is nobody. What's that a reference to? You know what the devil's nickname is? The accuser. Because, friends, in our battles, the devil comes along in our, whether it was the world or the flesh or Satan himself that caused us to be in a difficulty, or whether, in fact, it is God putting us in a place of battle to strengthen us, no matter. But Satan looks at the bullseye of your wound and the lies that you're ready to believe about that, and he shoots an arrow right in the middle of it and accuses you and goes, you know why this is hard? Because you're a failure. Do you know why this is hard? Because you're a filthy human being. You know why this is hard? Because you are a pervert and will never amount to anything. That enemy accuses us all day, every day, and this text is an allusion to that, and it says, who's, who's gonna bring an accusation? Nobody can bring an accusation that will stick because it's God who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? No one, verse 34. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And what's he doing? Are you in your text? What's he doing at the right hand of God? He's interceding for us. Now you have the second member of the Trinity who's standing before God on your behalf, pleading your case so that the Father does his will in your life. The love of God is manifested so that we are more than conquerors. You got the Holy Spirit in you going, I got it. You don't know what to do. I'm asking God for his perfect will in your life. The son of God is at the right hand of God saying, listen, however broken this situation is, I already took care of it. Bring them into the perfect plan, God. Bring them into the beauty and the glory. It's all done. It's all taken care of. So you got the Holy Spirit interceding for you. You got Jesus interceding for you, friends. Who can bring any charge against us then? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is nobody. There's victory because of the love of God. He's positioned his Holy Spirit on our part. He's positioned the Son of God um, who is for our good, proving that he's on our side. And so apply that to this trial, this story that you have, to that battle that you're facing. If God is on my side, if God is on my side, if God is for me, what am I facing here? This is not too big for God. His arm is not too short to rescue you. Fourth, and then I gotta quit. Nothing in this universe can separate us from his love and care. That's the fourth one. Nothing in this universe can separate us from his love and care. And that's this glorious language that begins in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? We've already been practicing our answers to these questions in this text as he's preaching in his writing, right? So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What's the answer? Nobody. You see, his love, which is his love and care, which is his love and healing, which is his love and accomplishing his will in your life, which is his love and, and bringing good out of your battle, which is his love and bringing you life as it was promised to be, that's the victory. So who can separate us from that victory happening in our lives because of God's love? And the answer is nobody. Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. We could, re, we could discern all what those things mean in today's world and how they might apply to your life. But any of this lack, or any of this danger, or any of this persecution, and in verse 36, in fact, it's like, you know, like, like the psalmist talks about persecution. 
Even martyrdom, if we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Even if we were to face persecution for our faith to the point of dying for it, no, verse 37 says, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced. He starts by up in that beginning, top of that lofty passage by saying, then this is what we know. And he rehearses it. And down here he goes, and this is what I'm convinced of. All this stuff about the love of God that it'll bring victory. So I'm convinced of this. This is what I'm convinced of, that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. That's what he's trying to get to. He's trying to be, he's poetically saying nothing, nada, guess, brainstorm, none of it. We'll be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, the love and care that God wants to bestow on our lives, the victory over our brokenness, the victory in these battles. Nothing will separate us from God's love and care and work because of the victory of him. We're more than conquerors. More than conquerors. More than conquerors. It's a Greek word. You've got to get it tattooed on your body. More than conquerors. It's, uh, what is it? Where is it? I wrote it down. Hypernicomen. 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 It's one word that means it's beyond conquering. It's ridiculous in its conqueringnesslessness. Ish. Hypernicomen. Because it's more than conquering, because it's already happened through his love that was demonstrated by Jesus on the cross. This victory that we can have is because we have a relationship with him. Remember verse one, there's no condemnation. There's a relationship with him. So if there's no condemnation, then we have this relationship with God and Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And because of that, nothing can come between us and God and the work that he wants to do. Now, I'm not naive, you guys. I shy away sometimes from preaching the victory message because I'm so aware that when we're in the middle of non-victory, there's nothing more irritating than a sermon on victory. I understand that. But we're here to remember the truth. He starts by saying, here's the things we know. And at the end he said, and here's what I have become convinced of. We remember the truth so that we can rehearse the truth. That nothing we face has to overwhelm us, but we have victory because of his love for us. And we celebrate that. So, if nothing can separate us, text says nothing can separate us. I actually want to say there's actually something that can separate us. If because of what God has done, nothing can separate us from him, what does separate us is when we walk away from him. When we walk away from him, we're not experiencing his love and his care. We're not experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit who's interceding on our behalf. We're not submitting ourselves to the, to, to the, we, that we love him and that we want his will for our lives. If we walk away, if we're interpreting, listen to this, if we're interpreting our story as not the love of God, okay? If you're interpreting your battles as that's not the love of God, 
If we're seeing God as not being loving, then we are tempted to wander away and bail on that relationship with God. And that separates us from the work that God wants to do in our lives. He never forces himself upon us. And so if there's no way that his love will separate us, we're the only ones that can put a monkey wrench in. And so I just, as we close and we're on our way to the table, I want to I challenge you. And maybe there's two challenges. One, have you walked away in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the grief, you've interpreted it as God doesn't love me. He's not present. Forget that. Have you even done it in a little bit of a Christian way covered up with all the church attendance and, but in your heart of hearts you're like, I'm out. Come back. Because this is what we know. And this is what we've become convinced of. That the love of God can bring victory and beauty and life. Come back. And that idea that we can separate ourselves from God is actually not even true. Because repentance means that when we that we'll turn around and we'll face God again. And what we find is that when we're way out here and we're lost and we turn around, he's, been, he's with us, he's following us. And so coming back into experiencing the love of God, the care of God in our lives is just a matter of turning back. And so even as you come to the table this morning, maybe you're someone who needs to say, Lord, I'm back. Listen, we totally get it. We totally get it. If you've been tempted to be there or if you've gone away and walked away from God, the reason we get it is Scripture's full of it. The disciples had that experience. You know that passage in John 6, I have it up here on the screen, where there was this hard teaching and, and it says in that text that, in fact, at that point, after that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And Jesus turned to his 12 closest, like the spiritual giants, supposedly, maybe the closest ones they should have known, and he said, do you not want to leave too? Are you going to leave, basically, is what he's saying. He asked the 12. And the next verse, Simon Peter, and you could imagine Simon considering that question and going, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. But the next verse, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where would I go? I mean, this is hard and I don't get it, but where would I go? You have the words of life. The intonation in the Greek is, you alone are it. You, you're the only one that has life and that offers life. This is what we've come to believe. See hear the language from Romans 8? We've come to believe this. You're the holy one of God. So where else would I go? You're my only hope. And a dear friend of mine in the midst of deepest loss said, even early on in the deepest struggle of grief and despair said, but I'm not going to bail on God because where else would I go? He's been good to me my whole life. And I don't know where to put this, but he's my only hope. Somebody, somebody in this room, maybe you, you need to come back. So as you come to the table, and we, all the chaos that happens around our table and all that kind of stuff, if that resonates with you, maybe when you come to the table, as you're waiting in line and we're singing the songs, maybe you say the words of John 6 in your head, God, where else would I go? You alone have the words of life. 
Maybe that's your response this morning as we come to the table. Come back. And maybe for the rest of us, the rest of you, it's that rehearsing this truth, you need to apply it to your battle. You need to apply it to your battle. And is that battle that you had in your mind that you need to come as you come to the table, that maybe you speak one of those lines of Romans 8 into that battle. Maybe you say, if God is for me, who can be against me? As you come and meet Christ at these tables, Jesus, who's hosting that table this morning, maybe you say, if God is for me, who could be against me? Maybe you say, who can separate me from the love of Christ? Remember and rehearse the truth, friends, that there's victory because of the love of God.